So, I'm a pastor. That's what I do for a living. There's some days I wish I was an artist or an architect. But most days I enjoy being a pastor. And one of the things that comes with being a pastor is that you find yourself in conversations with people about something that they might not ordinarily share with anybody else. Something personal. Something private. Something very vulnerable. And there's typically two ways that those conversations happen. Sometimes the person initiates the conversation. They'll call the church office and they say, I'd really like to speak with the pastor. And they'll come in and we'll, we'll sit down in my office together and we'll visit with one another. And I might say something like, well, uh, what, what was it that you wanted to talk about today? Or what was on your, what's on your heart? Or how can I be of help? And, and they, they share something that's very personal with me. The other way that these conversations come about is um, in the course of a completely different kind of conversation, it'll move to something more vulnerable. Maybe it's across the table from each other at lunch, or, or maybe it's in the aisles at um, HEB or Home Depot, or maybe it's just an extended uh, period of uh, activity together around a golf or a long bike ride, and, and the conversation moves to something very personal. And after 35 years, I've had a lot of these conversations. And after a while, you start to recognize some patterns and some themes. And while the faces and the names are different, the conversations generally start the same way. And some people, they'll tell me this. I just don't feel at peace in my life. I can't put my finger on it. I just always feel a little uptight. I feel a certain like tension, a lack of resolve in my life. I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is. I just don't feel peace in my life. Or, or they might say, I, I just can't seem to ever get my life together. It's like two steps forward, three steps back. I just, I try and something keeps going wrong. I can never quite get it to where I feel like this is what I want my life to be like. Or they may say something like this. I, I often feel like something's missing in my life. And I've been searching for years and I, I don't know what it is, but I just know something's missing and I can't seem to find it. Or they say, I often feel like restless and frustrated and annoyed and bothered in my life. I'm always just sort of like right on the verge of, of losing my temper. I'm always angry. I just, I don't know what it is. I can't seem to settle myself. Or they'll say, I often feel lethargic and apathetic, unmotivated and, and blah about my life. I just can't find any joy or, or hope or excitement about anything. They say, sometimes I feel, I feel sad and hopeless. I feel discouraged. I feel depressed in my life. Now listen to me. All of us, at one time or another, will feel all of those things. You feel that way, I feel that way. And sometimes it's just, it's just a bad day. Or it's been a long week. 
Or maybe something's happened in your life that's been dramatic or traumatic. Maybe it's like the loss of your job or, or maybe the loss of a loved one or a really serious health scare. And it leaves you really unsettled, maybe for weeks or a couple of months. But these conversations that I have with people are people who are describing not just a couple of weeks or months. They're talking about seasons of their life where they've felt like this. We're talking about years and years at a time. In fact, some of them will describe an experience where it's rare that they find or feel happy or joyful or content. But the majority of their life is spent feeling like something's missing and there's no peace and they feel apathetic and, and unmotivated and unenergized in life. And they want to know why. Now, the truth is, there may be many reasons that contribute to feeling like that. But today I want to talk about one of the reasons. And perhaps one of the biggest reasons why we never quite feel like our life is going the way that we had hoped or wanted. Maybe you're here today and you feel like that right now. But it just so happens that one of the things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks has to do with how we experience life. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the soul, that intangible part of us that relates and responds to God. And we've been talking about Sabbath, like this time, this place, this space where we take the time to tend to our soul. And so we've been exploring what I've described as the three greatest threats to a soul that's restful. We've been talking about hurry and noise and clutter. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we live our lives in such a hurry, such fast and furious lives with very little margin, always going after the next thing, doing more than we can actually handle in 24 hours. We're always in a hurry, and we never take the time to tend to our soul. And our soul is a garden, and there's seeds that are planted there that provide the best in life, love and hope and joy and peace and courage and confidence. But because we're in such a hurry, we never take the time to really cultivate that garden. And therefore, our soul is incapable of providing for what we want the most in life. Last week, we talked about the idea of noise. There's so many influences in our culture and our society and they have so many things to say. And if we're not careful with what we do to interpret what they have to say, it can create noise in our soul like worry and fear and anger and discontentment and discouragement. And that noise in our soul drowns out the one thing that God had intended the soul to provide. And that was a place to hear his voice. But our soul is so noisy, we can't hear the voice of God because the voice of God is always a whisper, a still, small voice. And because we can't hear the voice of God over the din of all the noise, then we can't hear his encouragement. We can't hear his leading. We can't hear his help and his compassion and his, his direction in our life. So today, I, I want to talk about this last one. I want to talk about clutter. Clutter. 
I want you to get this. There's a corresponding relationship between the way you experience life. I don't have any peace. I always feel so restless. I'm always so sad or discouraged. There's a corresponding relationship between the way you experience life and the amount of clutter in your soul. You want to talk about that? Somebody like, I'm not sure I do. <laughs> I got a small disclaimer before we get too far in the message today. For those of you who judge a good sermon by how quickly the preacher gets to the scripture, I just want to let you know I'm saving all of the scriptures to the very end of the message. Because I want to create a case for why these scripture passages are so critical to understand. Does that make sense? So if you're one of those people, just be patient. We're going to get there. So, we all know what clutter looks like. We recognize it when we see it. Maybe you'll recognize some of this. Maybe this is what your desk looks like. Papers, mail, gadgets, cords, hardware, knickknacks. This is what your desk looks like. Clutter. Maybe... Maybe this is what your closets look like. Your house is meticulous, but don't you dare let anybody look in your closets because you got so much stuff jammed in there, stuff you haven't touched in five years. Maybe this is your garage. Again, your house looks great, but boy, your garage is nothing more than a storage unit. And it's just everything is piled in there. And all the men in the room, <laughs> all the men in the room are thinking, my garage would be meticulous if it wasn't for my wife and kids. <laughs> because they don't want to deal with anything. They just throw it in the garage. And then I have to, and it just looks, ends up looking like this. What is it about garages and ice chest? Like how many ice chests does a family really need? Three or four. Maybe, maybe every family has a junk drawer. That one drawer in the kitchen that grows to two and to three, all right? Because of all the stuff. And you just spend 15 minutes looking for the scissors. Maybe, maybe it's your bedroom. And you think, no, it's my bedroom, my space. I can do with it as pleasing. It ends up looking like this. Or maybe this is what your kid's bedroom looks like. And you're just, what do you do? You get to a point where you say, I'm done fighting about it. It's, it's, it's not a war I'm going to win. I just let them have it. Keep your door closed. Maybe this is what your car looks like. I love the giggles. Because you're just saying, yep, yep. Or maybe your attic. This actually looks kind of neat and orderly. Um, maybe your attic. It's the place because you think nobody ever sees that. I rarely ever go up there. You got stuff in there that's 40 years old. You haven't touched. Or maybe, maybe this is like your files. There's filing cabinets for it all, but there's no space in it. Or you just haven't ever bothered making the transfer from your desk to the filing cabinet. 
Or maybe, maybe it's your landscaping. You just never get around to it. It's too hot. You don't want to mess with it. Or maybe, maybe it's your schedule. Now, we all know what clutter looks like. And if I ask you to define clutter or describe clutter, you'd have a couple of words. You'd have some things to be able to describe it to me. You'd say, well, clutter, it's a messy. It's, it's disorganized. It's untidy. You, you might even have a definition. And here's a definition. Clutter is a collection of things lying about in an untidy mass. <laughs> Not a mess, an untidy mass. So here's the deal. We all know what clutter looks like. And we know how to describe it or define it. But do you know what it is? Do you know what clutter is? Well, here's a Paul Wilson explanation. Clutter is the accumulation of things that have not been dealt with properly and put where they belong. Now, the operative ideas are something in our lives that haven't been dealt with properly, those papers. Now, to deal with them properly, maybe some of them, they just need to go in the trash. It's mail that you won't even open that's been there for six months on the corner of your desk. It just needs to go in the trash, but you have not dealt with it properly and you've not put it where it belongs. That's where clutter comes from. So clutter in your soul is what we're here to talk about. So watch this. Clutter in your soul is the accumulation of things that have not been dealt with properly or put where they belong. You see, when we fail to properly deal with important aspects of our life, it creates clutter in our soul. And that clutter has an enormous impact on how we experience life. Are you listening? Right. Now some of you are saying, what, what does that even mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I'm a design guy. I'm a design guy. The more I read the Bible, the more I study the Bible, the more I understand that God is a designer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First thing we learn about God before is love, his mercy, his forgiveness. The first thing we learn about him is he is a designer by nature. And the more I study the scriptures, the more impressed I am that everything that God has created and everything that God has established in life was done with design. Now, I'm going to give you three words. Three words that if you can get your arms around these words and and live your life in relationship to them, this isn't exaggeration. It will change your life. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. It will change your life if you get these three words. You interested? God is a God of purpose, design, and order. 
God always does things for a reason. He, uh, he has a purpose for everything that he's ever created or established for human life. He has a purpose, a reason why. And he's designed our lives to be able to accomplish the purpose. He's created things in such a way that the purpose can be fulfilled. And those designs, they all have order. Meaning they're not messy, they're not cluttered, and they all have a proper place in relationship to other things. They fall in a certain order. And when we, design, when we honor the purpose, design, and order of God, our lives will be fulfilling. And satisfying and energizing. Yes. Now, look at this is just a short list. Every one of these, they have purpose, they have design, and they have order by God. Your body has purpose. Your body has a design. Your body has an order. We'll talk about that in a minute. But your body has purpose and it has design. Down to the molecules and the DNA that God has created in you to be either a man, a male, or a female, a woman. And when we ignore the design of God, we're asking for big trouble. And it's not up for popular vote. It's not up for what the prevailing contemporary society might say about these things because it's established in the truth of the eternal God that says your body has a purpose, it has a design, and it has an order. And if you honor it, you will know the best of what the body was designed to do. Relationships purpose, design, order, marriage, purpose, design, order, family, purpose, design, order. Money has a purpose. It has a design and it has an order. Work, recreation, sexuality, purpose, design, order. Anything outside of God's purpose, design, or order is not only wrong, it will ruin our life and our society. Based on the truth of God's eternal words. Government, food, church, possession. The list could go on. All of them, if God created and established it, it has purpose, it has design, and it has order. Let's look at a couple of them. Marriage and family. Marriage has a purpose, design, and order. Family, children, has purpose, design, and order. Here's how this works. Man and a woman, they meet, they date, they fall in love, they get married. And the moment that that wedding pronounces them husband and wife, it's like they start building a campfire. And that campfire, it needs, it needs fuel, and it needs ignition, and it needs oxygen. There's things that you have to do to keep that fire burning white hot. And sometimes that fire gets burning really, really hot. And about nine months later, they have a baby. Well, guess what? That baby, that child, the start of their family, that's a new fire. And it needs to be tended to in order for it to thrive. And then, lo and behold, they have another baby. That's another fire. And then they have another baby and they have another fire. And pretty soon they can have two, three, four, five, some of you, seven and eight fires going. And that's all good. Except what I see so often 
particularly in Christian circles. These people over here, this is a husband and wife. And they've just put a mom and dad hat on top of the husband and wife hat. And they, they, they just start tending to all these fires and everything that needs to be done in order for these fires to thrive. Because they want their kids to have the best. They want the kids to be loved. And they, they, just, they want the best for their kids. Because after all, they're, they're a gift from God. I, I need to take good care of them. But what the problem is, is that we can get so preoccupied and busy with providing everything for these fires that what happens is we start neglecting this one over here and we don't provide what it needs to thrive and pretty soon it starts to go out but we don't care because we're so busy over here doing all the things. And we, we think to ourselves, we rationalize ourselves. Oh, that's all right. My wife understands. That's all right. My, my husband, he's flexible. We'll, 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 get back, we'll get back to it. When? Well, when the kids are grown and they move out of the house, we'll get back to it. And I go, just do the math. You were married for what? Two, three, four, five years before your children were born? And after five years, you start letting the fire go out and you're not going to tend to it again for another 15, 18, 25 years. Don't be surprised that the fire doesn't come back. And I see it all the time. Why? Because we got things out of order. Purpose, design, order. And what happens is, is we place the needs and the one of our children above the needs and the one of our marriage. And that wasn't the order that God established. God established that it would be the marriage that would provide the love that the home would need. It would be the marriage that would provide the security that a child needs to thrive. It would be the, the marriage that provides the example that the child would recognize for the rest of their life what love and commitment looks like. I'll say this till the day I die. Which always makes me nervous when I say that because what if that's tomorrow? And you'll say, oh, he prophesied that. No. Listen, I'll say this to the day that I listen to this. The greatest thing that you'll ever give to your children, more than their wealth, more than education, more than all the coaches and training that you can get for the sport of their choice, the greatest thing that you'll ever give to your children is a healthy, dynamic marriage between their mom and their dad. And when you fail to give them that kind of a marriage based on the purpose, design, and order of God, you cripple your children for the rest of their life. Yes. Why? Because God has an order. Yes. And it only works right if we do it in the order that it was designed. people and government government was created and established by god to protect people and to provide for their justice and so the government in, in its order has always been up under as a servant to the people and when we get this backwards the government doesn't work and pretty soon the people live under the burden of a tyrannical dictatorship of government that takes advantage of them because we get it out of order Work and rest. There's an order. Six days thou shalt do your labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. 
The rest always follows the work. The dignity is in the work and the celebration of the dignity of work is found in the rest. But in our American society, we spend so much time pursuing this at the neglect of that. And we wonder why it doesn't work because it's out of order. Body and soul. Oh, body has a purpose, but so does your soul. It has a design, and they both have order. Yes. But we get them out of order. Think of all the time, the energy, and the money that you spend on your body. You wash it, you brush it, you floss it, you scrub it, <laughs> you exercise it, you shape it, you sculpt it, and if that doesn't work, you go to a doctor to help make it look that way. You spend all the time, all the money, all the energy on your body, and you don't spend nearly the same amount of time every week on your soul. Jesus said, don't ever be worried about what somebody can do to your body. Be worried about what an eternal righteous God can do to your soul. It's the one eternal part of you. We spend hours every day tending to our bodies, feeding it, showering it, exercising it. And then we get all hacked off if the sermon goes over 10 minutes. <laughs> Why? Because we place so much importance on the body over the soul. Yes. And that's out of order. That was a little plug for preachers. <laughs> Does this make sense? Amen. I could do that with everything that was on the list. Everything has purpose, design, and order. When we understand the purpose and we honor the design and we submit to the order that God has established for the way that life works. One, we protect ourselves from the consequences of poor choices. And two, we position ourselves for the blessings of living according to God's will. God is saying to us, over and over again, please, whatever you do, honor my purpose. Understand my design. Live in keeping with the order because there's blessing there for you. And I can spare you of the consequences of choosing to try to outsmart my design. So anywhere that God has created purpose or design or order that's not being honored, that's clutter. That's us not handling things properly or putting them in their place. Did you follow that? Amen. That clutter then ends up creating this tension. Frustration, anxiety, restlessness, annoyance. Where you, every day, every moment of your life, driving your car, being at work, you're, it's just, just right there on the edge. Just the right person could set you off and just, you better hope I have some coffee. <laughs> Malaise, like I, I don't... 
I was just lost in life. I, I don't care about anything. Despair, hopelessness, apathy, depression. Are you listening? The tension that's created by clutter in your soul comes from the frustration of living with your failure to deal with what you know needs to be addressed in your life. I don't have any peace. I don't know what the meaning is. I, I feel so sad. I feel so blah. I feel so angry and tense. It's your soul. It's filled with too much clutter and it's asking you, please, let's do something about this. So our lives are filled with worry. These are some of the most clutter-producing experiences. Worry is clutter. Deal with it. Stop excusing yourself. I'm just a worrywart. That's the way I am. Stop it. God has asked you not to worry, but to trust him. You say, but Paul, it's so hard. I get it. I know what it is to worry about having two kids who are growing up. But that doesn't give me permission to rationalize why I continue to entertain a worrisome spirit. I have to deal with it in relation to my faith. Unforgiveness, huge source of clutter. Refusing to provide the forgiveness to another human being. And you say, but Paul, you don't understand. I do understand how much they hurt you. But I know that the forgiveness is not hurting, the unforgiveness is not hurting them at all. It's eating you alive. It's clutter. Doubt. Again, I'm a doubter. I'm a cynic, a skeptic in my faith. But it doesn't give me, it doesn't give me permission to be full of doubt. I have to wrestle with that unfinished business. Deal with it properly. Debt. Huge clutter. The worry that it creates in your life. Unfaithfulness in your marriage. Having to hide that secret all the time. It's clutter. Immorality of any kind. Addiction. It's clutter. I know addiction. I've, I've walked the road. I, I know the story. Addiction, it's hard. But it doesn't give me the permission to just forget about it and just go on life. I have to deal with it. I have to take the steps. Otherwise, it's just cluttering my soul. Insecurities. I went on a two-year two journey of self-reflection um, after turning uh, 50 years old. And one of the most remarkable insights that I gained in that two years of, of self-introspection was I had so many insecurities that at age 50, I was still allowing to cripple my life. I had to deal with them. Dysfunctions, disobedience, discontent. Dis These are things that create clutter in our soul. And, and here's, here's what I want you to hear. Your soul is screaming, begging for you to do something about the mess that's resulted from living your life outside of God's purpose, design, and order. It's as if your soul is saying, I can't thrive in this disarray. Please do something, do anything to start to address the mess. Please, please, please. Does that make sense? 
It's so easy as human beings. And our enemy, Satan, would love, would love for us to say, I'll get to it someday. Or it's too big. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to do. Your soul's saying, do something. Quit just letting it lie there unaddressed. Put it in its proper place. I got a minute and a half left. <laughs> so excited. It's okay. It's okay. Now here's where some people say, well, preacher, I, I, I think I agree with you. But can you give me a chapter and a verse? Can you like show me in the Bible where like every one of those things on the list has purpose, design, and order? And I'll tell you, no. I can for some of them, very specific verses. But this kind of stuff doesn't fit under a chapter and a verse. This fits under the abiding truth of God's word. And in that we find, ready, wisdom. Wisdom is everything that we're talking about today. It's taking the truths of scripture as they're found both Old Testament and New Testament and interpreted properly and applying them to an understanding of how our life works. And so we're taking the abiding truths of God's word and we're saying, what does it teach us about the purpose and design and order? And so there's no greater source of wisdom in the scriptures. No, I don't want to say that. One of the best places in the Bible for a source of wisdom is the book of Proverbs. So let me read you some excerpts from those passages and see if, in fact, this doesn't make sense in relationship to what we've been talking about. Proverbs 1, how long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long are you going to just live in that mess? When you know that it's keeping you from the life that you long for. How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? I, I, I'm just, I don't even want to learn more about it. And, uh, repent at my rebuke. Then I'll pour out my thoughts to you and I'll make known to you my teachings. Because my teachings have healing and power and transformation in them. But since you refuse... You don't want to listen to purpose, design, and order in your sexuality. You don't want to listen to purpose, design, and order in relationship to how, how important you've made your kids. You don't want to listen to purpose, design, and order in relationship to your money. But since you refuse to listen when, when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, then you need to know I, in turn, will laugh when disaster strikes you. This is wisdom. I'm saying, you ignored me? You ignored my ideas of design and order and purpose? Well, then don't be surprised when your life starts falling apart. In turn, I'll laugh when disaster strikes you. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. And people in my office tell me, Paul, I've been feeling like this for years. Then, then they call to me, but I'll not answer. It'll, it's too late. 
There's too many pieces to pick up. There's too much to repair. It's not that it can't be done. It's just going to be a long, hard road to be done. They will look for me, but they'll not find me. Since they hated knowledge. And they did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and they spurned my rebuke, then they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, design, purpose, and order, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. My son, my daughter, if you accept my words and you store up my commands, purpose, design, and order within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. For the Lord, he does what? He gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He, he holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just. And he protects the way of his faithful ones. Then, then you will understand what is right. What is just and what is fair. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your, your soul. Discretion will protect you. And understanding will guard you. Look at the language. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. Do you hear that? Since the time that life on earth began. There's been... The wisdom of God in creating purpose, design, and order. By understanding, he set the heavens in place by his knowledge. The watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. They, then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not be tripped up by living your life outside of the purpose, design, and order that God created. When you lie down, you'll not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom whatever you do. 
get rid of the clutter. Find the purpose, the design, and the order for what it is that you're missing. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her. She will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom. I lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well for it. Look at this. It is your life. Did you say Paul? Thank you. Thank you for your passion. I, I'm, I'm listening. But Paul, I, I don't know the purpose of everything in my life. Paul, I, I don't get the design for all the things. I, I, I don't even understand the order of all these things. I'm not, I'm not trying to be snarky, but I says, sounds like you still have some work to do. Sounds like you're going to have to get involved in your faith. You have some important work to do. Because until you do, your soul will continue to cry out in frustration until these things have been properly dealt with and put in the place they belong. I leave you with this. The life you crave will only happen when you place God at the center of it, place him in charge of it, and live in submission to his design for it. Amen. I don't care how smart you are, how wealthy you are, how popular you are, or how powerful you are. You will not be an exception to that. Amen. The thing that you're looking for is the way of God in your soul. That's not just something to think about. That's a lot to think about. So I leave you with your thoughts. Let me ask you to stand together. Let me pray for you. I also want to pray for a family in our church. The Navarro family. The little daughter Sylvia is two years old. And... Uh, was in a very unfortunate pool accident is in pediatric ICU. So let's pray for her and his family. Our Father in heaven, you've spoken. It's our choice whether we'll listen or ignore. We've seen what our cultures decided to do. We see what our society chooses more often than not. 
or we're talking about us, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep searching, keep rationalizing, keep trying to squeeze something in that was never designed to fit your purposes, your design, or your order? Because we want to be inclusive, we want to be loving, we want to be accepting, we want to be inviting, we, we, we want to be popular, we want to be happy, we want to be secure, but we keep getting it all out of order. So we come to you in these moments and we say, help. Be at work. Open our eyes and our ears to the truth of your words. And their abiding wisdom for the centuries. God, help us all to deal with the clutter that's keeping us from experiencing all that you have for us in our life. God, in this moment, we want to lift up the Navarro family. I want to ask for your protection over Sylvia. We ask, Father, that you bring healing to her little body. Comfort her parents. Give them the wisdom and discernment they need to know how best to serve her. Surround her with wonderful doctors and nurses. We ask, Father, that you'd spare her life. God, thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen.